This is my new baby. New babies. We got her on newbabies.com. That's not true. That's not a real website. Now, I assume this dog had a name, but that the name was not public? No, no name yet. Okay. We're not sure. You can't just give a sweet baby like this a name. Well, I know in some cultures it's bad luck to tell people the name too early, so maybe I thought that was what was happening. It's bad luck to get tell people the name too early? Yeah, I think it's an Orthodox Jewish thing. They don't tell people the name until they're two weeks old because oh, kind of the rules. Grim Reaper or something. Yeah, it's great. You don't want the Reaper. Oh, like he can't find the baby unless he knows its name. That's right. Yeah, name's not public. It's like the name has never been spoken out loud in public, something like that. Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, I'm always dancing around a fire, singing my name in secret. Grim Reaper fans in the in the chat watching this or listening to this afterwards, please get at me. Let me know who does that. It sounds very cool to me. Let us make a journey to the Cave of Monsters. It's Insert Credit, the only video game podcast on the internet living in constant fear of a horrible buzzer. I'm Dirtbag Regular Colin, aka Mox Bagel, filling in for Alex Jaffe, and my favorite train in video games is the XS Express in Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. Oh, man. Um, hi, uh, this is Frank Cifaldi, uh, a frequent guest of, of the Insert Credit show, perhaps even a permanent one. My favorite train in uh video games let me think about that um i don't know that i've ever like pointed at a train in a game and went that's a good train the one that's coming to mind for me just because i like the overall aesthetic of most things in 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 that game is uh final fantasy 7's train oh yeah great train let's go with that great train that's a train uh i'm tim rogers and uh, my favorite train in video games is um the Yamanote line as seen in Denshidego final for the PlayStation 2. Um, and that is uh, my Classic. that is that is my, my final answer. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, I'm Matthew Kumar. I'm here filling in for Brandon for a change. My favorite train in video games. I mean, there's just so many, aren't there? Um, I think because I've been playing through uh, Karataka recently, the, or the making of Karataka, um, it just put me in mind of Jordan Mechner's The Last Express. So I'm going to say that mm. one. Mm. Yeah, great train. The, liter- the literal Orient Express is yeah. your favorite. Yeah, okay. A real train game right there. Yeah. Yep, and that train is in many games. Like, there's lots of homages to that train. I feel like the Wolfenstein: The New Order has a version of a very similar train to that. I'm, I'm glad that nobody said their favorite train in video games is uh, the train uh, verb from the game "brain training," because that would have made me upset if somebody had said that. So, thanks. I thought for sure the Phantom Train from Final Fantasy VI would come up because too the obvious. memory of suplexing it is just too obvious. Uh, you can suplex the train. Is what people say whenever anyone mentions Final Fantasy VI. There's just a whole bunch of Gen Z, TikTok, Fortnite, Nightmare children just walking around and in their 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 bathrobes made of Mardi Gras beads or whatever it is the kids do now, saying you know Final Fantasy VI, you can suplex a train, right? That's it. That's all they know about it, right? Bunch of Fortnite nightmares. Yep, a new person every day. Bunch of YouTube video watching watching children's. God darn just throwing up on my lawn and such right when we were talking about trains there i was thinking like um just 
racking my brain for different trains, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, Brenda Romero's train. I was like, mm, that can't be anybody's mm-hmm. favorite train. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, uh-huh. the train that Nathan Drake hangs off in uh, Uncharted 2. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I uh-huh. guess that's fine. Like, There's a lot of trains that are just a bunch of flat platforms so you can jump and kick guys on them. Like uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles always have a train level in some of those games or... There's that one in Shadows of the Empire that is like, oh, it's yeah. like called like a junk train and you like have to jump between it quite a bit. It's not a good train, but it is memorable. I like the joke in Uncharted 2 when you're fighting on that train for so long. And at some point, Nathan Drake's like, ah, how long is this train? <laughs> it's like pretty funny, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I really like those type of spaces in video games. You know, like when you're like sort of like, oh, you know what's a good one? Unreal Tournament uh, has that train level or the original Unreal Tournament. That's oh, yeah, a great yeah, yeah. level. Um, should have said that actually, but no, Last Express is really cool. I mean, and who doesn't love their own Express? Not my favorite of the Poirots, but uh, you know, still a solid train. Yeah, I'd like to go on it. Yeah, I I was racking my brain about it today too. I'm surprised that there aren't more like comfy trains, like rural pastoral trains. Uh, Animal Crossing was the only one I could really think of. Oh yeah, when you re-meet the the cat before going to uh, which one is that? I think it's New Leaf, the 3DS one. Because the 2DS, not the 2DS, the original DS one is a taxi, right? I think so. You're on a train at the beginning of the very first Animal Crossing on the The Nintendo 64, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do question one. All right. Uh, All right. When has depriving you of your equipment or weapons felt best in a video game? Um, When you start with nothing and then you get the stuff real fast um, and then never again. Uh, I don't know. I think Tears of the Kingdom did it very well where it has, I believe, the best the best uh, you lose all your stuff presentation of all games in game history. Did y'all play Tears of the Kingdom? Nope. You know how you start you start Symphony of the Night and you've got a whole bunch of stuff and Alucard is killing these screen-sized monsters with one hit and they scream and they gush blood and there's lightning and you're like, I'm so cool. And then death just kind of kicks you in the nuts. That doesn't feel good, in my opinion. Um, but in Tears of the Kingdom, it was uh, it, it felt metal as heck. When Link gets deprived of all his powers by Ganon at the beginning of the game, I thought that was really neat. It's a nice little, uh, nice little twist. I don't know if it felt good though. Well, but almost right afterward, you get to glue swords together, so there's like further empowerment than was possible mm-hmm. previously. That did, that did feel good. Yeah, it's. Uh, but then uh, I guess everybody likes that Link's Awakening Island in Breath of the Wild, right? Where you've got to rebuild. You have none of your equipment. You lose all your equipment and stuff, right? People thought that was good, I, but I think it's a che- it's a cheap trick to uh, start you real strong and then take it all away from you because it's like you're going to get back there someday. I don't know if it's a cheap trick. It's just there was no reason to keep repeating it. I feel. Yeah, I think so. You know, after after I don't know, like the I'm I'm sure something predates this. Maybe even Super Metroid. But Super the first Metroid. One yeah. I remember was Metroid Prime mm-hmm. did that, and it felt pretty pointless in that game because mm-hmm. i didn't remember any of those powers you know what i mean like it took so long to get them back that by the time i got it i wasn't like oh yeah that thing's finally back mm-hmm. it's such a trope now of triple a games right like that they're like we need to show you how cool and fun this game is eventually going to be but yeah. right now it's not gonna be f- but pretty soon it's not gonna be fun at all like the the worst example like i i actually hate it like there's no situation where i could say i've ever thought this is a cool way to do things but uh, when I played through Days Gone recently, that's like the perfect example of why that trope doesn't work. You show up in like a really awesome bike that feels good to ride, and then you measly lose it, and then the rest of the for like 
what feels like 12 hours, you're riding the slowest, shittiest bike ever around a massive map. And you're like, mm-hmm. why would you show me something fun and then maybe do nothing fun for like 12 hours? And like, that's all they want to do now. I, I'm, I'm anti it. I still think Days Gone is uh, better than a lot of other modern video games, in my opinion. But uh, I, I liked that stupid game. Man, I don't know about you, but I, I had a pretty good time with that game. It's got some fun stuff in it, but that yeah. th- that the use of tropes like that are very tedious. Did you play it on PlayStation 4 or did you play it at 4K 120 frames per second rock solid on PC? Uh, Serious you, question. Yeah, the PlayStation 4 cuz I'm cheap. Uh yeah, well the let me tell you, maybe the uh, rock solid 4K 120 on the PC made me enjoy it. Made me not mind the slow bike so much. Sure. Yeah, it felt faster. Yeah, having to all right. <laughs> Question two. What video game house would you want to live in and where would you build it? Do I have to? Like, I have to live in it? Yeah. Mario's house from Super Mario RPG with the big pipe in the top. And I would build it in Fortnite land so I could parachute <laughs> through the pipe. I could skydive into the pipe and then have all my guns in there. Right? Is that the kind of answer you're looking for with this? You know, I thought you were going to say, like, I'm going to build Mario's house, but I'm going to put it in suburban Detroit or something. But the idea of putting it in another video game had not crossed my mind. All my guns in there in a question block. Hit it, and I've got my shotgun, my machine gun, my 45, my 357. Who's actually got a good house? Like My Desert Eagle. Lara Croft has a really big one, right? With, like, stuff to dive into. Does that sound right? Yeah, the training mode. Perfect dark. Joanna Dark House. That's a good house. As well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about Zell's house in Ballamtown? Great house. Those stone sloping walls. Gorgeous. Could be sweet. Might be sweet. I have no idea what you're referring to. Right Final now. Fantasy VIII, bro. Oh, got it. What about what about Aerith's house? In and with all the flowers Final surrounding seven? it? Or, or even better, the remake. It's... No, too many memories of her, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Aerith is there. She's in that house. I'm trying to think of good video game houses, bro. I mean, what's the value of a video game house specifically? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what sets a video game house apart from just a normal house? Yeah, being able to walk around inside of a simulated house that feels like a nice uh, house that doesn't feel like anything in the real world and just having the ability to walk around in there and hang out in there occasionally. Occasionally during a video game, you think it would be cool if I could go to a place like this in real life. So I guess with the video game house, the the appeal is thinking it would be cool to rent this on Airbnb, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I is mean, that it? I mean, houses, right? It's all about location, right? So like, mm-hmm. which which video game house is in the best location that you'd want to be? Good question. Yeah, that's true. Like Cauldron Lake Lodge in Allen Wake is an incredible building, but you wouldn't want to go there because it's full of darkness demons of various types exactly so you'd want to move it somewhere else there's some good grand theft auto houses that you move into right oh yeah oh, yeah yeah there's all those like in grand theft auto online you like every like apartment you can buy is like incredible and obviously in an amazing location i mean obviously in a location where you step outside your house and you would be to get run over by a car or shot but you know other than that right yeah, yeah other than that i like the house you get at the the true ending of, of a cyberpunk 2077 it's a nice house but uh, you don't really get to hang out there too much. It's a good house, though. I'd chill there. I think your regular old apartment in Cyberpunk 2077 is one of my favorite like apartments that a character lives in. 
And I also think the the apartment you start in in uh, System Shock is really good as well. I mean, in terms of location, like I can't even remember. Do you ever do you ever see Kazuma Kiryu's house, like or where, where his apartment? Like you only ever see him in bars, right? No, you don't know. You don't know what his house is. He probably lives in some apartment with just bare walls. And... Although he does live in the orphanage in three, that would be nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's a good house. I'd smoke weed there. Um, I assumed in most of those games, he's just like sleeping at the back of that bar. Yeah, me too. Actually, that's why I was assumed could be worse. Great location. He sleeps standing up uh, on the train, probably because you know he because he, he works all night. All right, question three: If we've had Bubble Bobble, Puzzle Bobble, and Bobble Roulette, what other Bobble genres should Taito explore? Trouble Bobble. It's an open world Grand Theft Auto style game set in the Bubble Bobble world. Where you can play as Bub and Bob, and you can switch between them like in Grand Theft Auto V. It's called Trouble Bobble. In it, a drug lord is taking over their city, and they need to uh, start selling their own drugs or whatever. Whatever it is you do in Grand Theft Auto these days. What's their house going to be like? Yeah, is it a really sweet apartment? Yeah, it's a little, it's a miniature castle. And so it's like a gritty Grand Theft Auto city, not like a Dragon Ball Toriyama, you know, kind of fanciful city, right? Well, I think it's kind of a, a perfect seamless uh, blend of the two. It's gritty, but it's also manga. Is that idea just too good for everybody? Yeah, Trouble that's bubble? just it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. keep thinking about Trouble it. Bubble. <laughs> These two tiny dinosaurs are about to kill every drug dealer. In Bubbleopolis. There you go. I mean, it's it's the natural progression, I think, for these two characters. Yeah. yeah. Drug so, dealers. If, if, you, if you look at the clues that, that Taito left in mm-hmm. the existing games, I mean, what else are they going to do? Well, they've been increasingly monetized, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get them all. I like to think that it was like Bub and Bob maybe went to school with some of the drug dealers, and it will be very hard to kind of consider their personal allegiances. I think you get all of your other uh, Taito arcade game characters in there. You get your uh, Elevator Action Returns characters. You get the Ninja Warriors in there, right? Like the Ninja Warriors. The game opens with the Ninja Warriors being sent to kill Bub and Bob in their high rise. And they get rescued by the Elevator Action people. The Ninja Warriors are the antagonists until, you know, the twist halfway through. Something like that. I don't know. Okay, so so it's 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 sort of a Taito world. A big thing. Deus Ex Machina thing happens at the end where the space invaders attack. Oh, is it sort of a Watchmen ending where that unites everyone? Yeah, yeah, it unites them all and they fight back the space invaders. Who's the big bad in the Taito world? Like, who's like the the over drug lord? Is it like Rocky from Pocky and Rocky or something like that? I don't know. Who would it be? I'm having a hard time thinking of Taito games. So hang, hang on, hang on. There's a lot of Taito games, bro. Yeah, I'm seeing that. A healthy helping of them, we we could say. Back to 1967, if you're going electromechanical, apparently. That's too long ago. Oh, man, they did Toki. Oh, going ape spit. Yeah, he, that guy goes ape spit. No one wants that. I don't want that, no. Apparently Taito did a Hatsune Miku game. Can Miku be in this? No. Is she the big bad? That's, a, that's an external property. Let's not, uh, let's not get ridiculous. No, to mess with the purity of the world. Yeah, because it's all about uh, Bub and Bob, Trouble Bobble. Probably an ice rink in the city and Hit the Ice takes place in there. Oh, oh yeah. HTI. Yeah, little yeah. little Taito games all over the city. Oh, the Power Blade guys running around. It would really just be a delicious experience for all fans of uh, all things Taito. Sometimes when you're driving, you get chased by the Chase HQ guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this sounds great. I would play this. Trouble Bobo. All right, time. Okay, but we got to put Kickmaster in there because Kickmaster rules. Oh, yeah. Kickmaster kicks you and then knocks you into orbit at one point. Yeah. Kickmaster would be like their police chief who trained them, and his death is what sends them off the force, and they go they go private. Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm good with yeah, that. Yeah, I think Bub and Bob would be they would be like private detectives in this world. Yeah, yeah, they're not cops. We gotta we agree on yeah, that. Yeah, they're not lucky and wild. They are neither lucky nor wild, these two. Question four. How big of an influence on Dragon Quest is Akira Toriyama's art? What would be different if the designs had been drawn by, for instance, Rumiko Takahashi or a Western artist like Mobius? Shoot. Um, if I recall correctly, Yuji Hodi uh, specifically sought out Akira Toriyama, like specifically wanted Toriyama for it. They were all in on it together. So it being different would be quite different indeed. I think what what might be different about it... Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like a jerk or anything. Uh, Rumiko Takahashi, one of the few manga artists who had uh, more than two giant hit series in her career, right? It's kind of unheard of for a lot of uh, other people out there. But I feel like if it weren't Toriyama, it, it probably wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have been popular or as popular. I think it would have uh, kind of fallen flat because Toriyama was just, he was so hot at that time with Dragon Ball and coming off a doctor slump and everything he was just he was such a hot property that uh, yeah, i mean I it just, was a selling point in japan it's yeah not, i just yeah i just couldn't imagine it i mean you know wizardry and such were pretty big and pretty beloved in japan but i feel like having a uh a western art style in dragon quest would have uh i feel like it, it wouldn't have had the promotional pop because the promotion was the thing in japan if you've seen the promotional art for the original dragon quest it's all just some top tier triple a grade a solid gold platinum class diamond star admirals club levels of uh marketing and advertising illustration you know i mean it was just a absolute top of the top tier they really really were quite savvy about it that's a good point that there were many many high fantasy games in that era that had more western style art like falcom had some stuff that that had some really interesting stuff going on, but maybe if it didn't have Toriyama, Dragon Quest would be more undercover. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. more of a gamer's game. Yeah, more more for just the hardcore. Uh... Oh, there's so I thought I thought Tim was finishing a sentence, but then the, the oh, no, dog sorry. situation happened. Sorry. There so. was there was a there was some signaling going on. Just so listeners understand the sudden silence. We were we were, we were watching a dog situation. I was being asked uh, repeatedly and silently. If I wanted to take this dog here, and uh, so I did, and I was like, "Bring it on!" So now I have this dog on me. What a dog! I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to divorce the look because I mean they've never strayed from that. I, I mean, he, does he still do character designs, or are they just doing his style? He's at a point now where he's got he's got a studio, I believe, of people. But also, I mean, they put his name on the character designs. He probably does them. There have literally been only 12 mainline or 11 mainline Dragon Quest games. So it's like probably not too much to imagine he's done all of the main character designs himself. I feel like somebody like Mobius could have done it, but that would have been a vastly different game. Or maybe not a vastly different game. It would have been a different... Uh, I mean, he did the Mobius did the box art for the original Panzer Dragoon in Japan. We all know this, right? It's one of the most beautiful looking video game 
Ill- package illustrations of all time. But uh, that didn't exactly make the Sega Saturn defeat the Dreamcast, or not the Dreamcast, defeat the PlayStation or anything, right? It didn't... Uh, well, I mean, you know, well, okay, like, we're, we're, we're assuming he's back in the Famicom days, and I don't, I don't think yeah. Mobius art would have translated as well to monster sprites on the Famicom. You know, Toriyama's art was oh, certainly. very, like, sort of... I don't know, flat shaded, right? Solid colors and 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 uh, distinct features that the scale down well. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Mobius could have designed characters that translated well to the Famicom. Yeah, I mean the core of Dragon Quest is still beautiful game design, pristine math, uh, uh, the the progression, the scale, the scope, the whole. That first Dragon Quest is is a, a dynamite, rock solid little Rubik's cube of game design, but yeah, I feel like the Toriyama art, the hotness of Toriyama, that Shonen Jump uh, advertising partnership that they had, all of those things kind of triangulated together. It's an improper usage of the word triangulated, but uh, they triangulated, they triangled together to kind of just form this unstoppable thing. I feel like the core of the game wouldn't change at all if you had characters that look different. I feel like Yuji Hori is enough of a meat and potatoes, nuts and bolts game designer. And Toriyama has even said in the past in interviews that he loves working on the Dragon Quest games because he just gets asked to design a guy and then he just does it. And uh, he, he, you know, jokingly is like, and then I just get paid. I just design a guy and there it is. He says it's just more of a fun, fun exercise for him. Redesigning all sorts of Dungeons and Dragons monsters, etc., etc. Yeah, that monster design is what he really loves. Sometimes you'll see... Toriyama characters that are a mix and match of his other characters and outfits, but when he's drawing a big dumb dinosaur, you can just tell that that he's living his best life. Yeah, I love his orc design. His orc is one of the best video game character designs, in my opinion. Really hilarious, really good looking monster. I like his big cat. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. big old big old weird panthers. Mm-hmm. Guy knows guy knows what he's doing. Okay, question five. Okay. What would be the best type of game to release in weekly small installments over five to six months like a TV show? Yakuza game. Mm-hmm. I think you make a Yakuza game and you have each episode be an episode, an RPG, like a, a Witcher-like RPG, something like Cyberpunk 2077. I feel like it would have to be every month. It would have to be monthly episodes. I think I agree with that. Um, I want every month a weekend game, you know, not... Yeah, more than that. I think. I think I yeah. want to re like it's just enough to not wear out its welcome and just be a solid weekend. And um, I'm going to answer. I'm going to sort of not answer. <laughs> I'm going to say what it shouldn't be, which is like episodic adventure game. Like we tried that. That doesn't. That, that, that just wasn't right. Yep. You know, I was playing the original Sam and Max series and stuff like that, and I don't know if I was ever like looking forward to the next one. You know, it was more just like annoyed that I didn't have the full game. Well, yeah, and people even say, I'm going to wait till they're all out until I play it. Like, right. People will, like, resist the structure. Those episodic adventure games also were so, um, because of the design of adventure game, the puzzle spaces are always so limited within each chapter. Yeah. You never had this, like, overarching, like, quest. It's always like, uh, I guess I got these three trials to do in this one, these three locations, and that's what I'll yeah. do. And you just, you never felt any sense of, like, kind of progression or growth. It was always very much, like... You just felt so everything, every episode felt so self-contained. And I guess that's the problem, right? Is like making something that people would return to like on a weekly basis and feel the, the, the growth, but also giving them an, an, you know, an ABC arc, like on, on kind of a weekly basis. Funnily 
enough. I don't know if this would be my answer particularly, but talking about Dragon Quest in the last question made me think of how the Dragon Quest games tend to work, which is like, if you just played the last one, um, it's like, and there are a lot similar like this, where it's just like, you go to a town, people are like, oh, there's this thing happening in this town, you solve that thing, and then you go to another town, right? Like, yeah. mean, meanwhile, you have your character storyline going on in the background. So I feel like that type of setup would be good. The problem, of course, is like, even in the last Dragon Quest, like if the way I put it down for like, you know, a week, I was like, what the fuck am I doing again? Like, what's my character's growth? What am I doing? So that stuff was really hard to make work in a way where people would come back on like a, a weekly basis and not feel they've forgotten what the hell they're doing. But like, I think that like that type of system of like something happens every week with an in a story arc that reaches an overarching story arc and dragon quest does that fairly well i think the way that they they, they, they structure their stories yeah each uh town segment hub of a dragon quest game is kind of just it's it it's like either an episode of an anime or a, a multi-episode arc you know like on one piece we'll have a nine or ten episode you know arc where they're fighting against one guy in one situation so it's like Dragon Quest kind of naturally divides up into those little eight episode anime arcs, right? And I feel like there's there's like a boss you can fight to get to the end of it. And then your guys will be like, well, you know, now we've got to go here. But the the road is closed. They're still fixing the bridge, right? And then maybe there's some side quests we can do. And then one month later, you know, one real world month later, the bridge is fixed. Right. And our guys, we've been just, you know, hanging out in the inn at this this uh, town from one month. Now we're going to continue our journey. Right. I feel like that would work really well. I agree. If there are just little side quests, side stories you can do that keep you, uh, you know, you can that you know, optional things that you can do to enjoy the game. I think one important thing, if you're making an episodic video game, the the, the easiest way to combat the extreme just the legion of people who say i'll play the whole thing when it's all out is to like not be like kentucky route zero which uh did not have any kind of schedule at all and just uh you know here's part one and then you know four years later or whatever here's the next one and then like 42 years later here's part three and then 96 years later here's part four or whatever like whatever their schedule was i think uh you just tell people we have 12 episodes of this game and they're coming out in the next 12 months, one per month. So is the ideal thing we're describing just uh, what MMOs do? Basically, yeah. Okay, so single player MMOs. They're, they're, they also have uh, somewhat erratic schedules, but they do change stuff up every month or so. I feel like if you can just kind of siphon a little bit of that off into your single player RPGs, uh, Yakuza and Dragon Quest are already two games that would be very very easy to break yeah. up this way but also i mean have you noticed lately there's the streaming tv shows right where they release all the episodes at the same time and then there's the streaming tv shows where they release one episode at a time and nobody talks about the ones that get all the episodes released at the same time oh yeah. you notice this we all know this yeah yeah it's like no, nobody talks about the ones where you release they release all the episodes everybody was talking about succession nobody was talking about can't even think of a show they weren't talking about because they weren't talking about it right etc etc i watched that show who loses the great where they just released all 10 episodes of the third season at once and it's like oh you could have probably released those once per week and 
you know, drummed up some artificial buzz on the social media. Anyway, it's RPGs. It's Japanese RPGs. The old style. Holiday events, baby. Let's do this too. Yeah, they've got instance content already. Like sometimes you'll go back to an old town uh, later in a Dragon Quest and Mm -hmm. there'll be new stuff going on there. So it's like they could kind of feather in the content as you go. You're going back to old places. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Yeah, that was the problem. And I mean, not that the game design would have supported it, but, you know, something like a Sam and Max really felt like because they'd already made all these environments, they could just keep building out the world with each episode. But that's not reality. It was just kind of like Matthew described. It was like, here's the three locations for this segment. Is it just me or does Sam and Max sound like a store that sells fish? Thank you. <laughs> it's time. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's take a break. Does Sam and Max sound like a store that sells fish? Get it? Like Office Max, right? Salmon Max, right? Oh, I, I honestly, that only now do I get it because I... I oh, because you're from Scotland where they pronounce it Salmon? That's a joke. No, just we're from Scotland where we don't have Office Max. Mm, you don't have Office Max. <laughs> They've got Office Max uh, where you live here now, though, probably. I mean, if you said Salmon Staples, then the joke would have worked, which we also yeah. don't have in Scotland. <laughs> Question six. What futuristic sports game would make the best transition to real life, assuming an unlimited budget? Futuristic sports video game? Like Bill Lane Beer's Combat Basketball. Right, or like Speedball or Speedball 2. Cyberball. Is there a Speedball 1? I don't know. Matthew, you're our expert here. You come from a PAL territory. Yeah, what I was going to say was, <laughs> is that it's very, very cruel that Brandon isn't here. Because, although it's not a video game, the futuristic sport he'd want to talk about is um, jogging from that movie, uh, is it called Night of the Jugger? Am I, am I, I'm confusing the name. Blood of Heroes, aka Skulls of the Jugger. Skulls of the Jugger, yeah, which is uh, sort of like football, but um, as an American football with a uh, skull and stuff like that. And there is a Jugger League. There's like yeah. an independent league in Australia, I believe. No, no, it exists. I have seen it perform once when I was in um, Austin or near Austin. There's like an um, a rain fair, right? That, we, that we, I went to. I drank meat and I watched people jogging. The future's now. God, that rules. So the future is now. So the answer is basically, I guess, jogging um, works perfectly fine. But like, I mean, I suppose people play all these fucking made up sports, don't they? They play uh, fucking the one from Harry Potter, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they do that, but yeah. sure. They just run about with like a a, pl- a plank between their legs or something. That's not the game. That's not really futuristic, though. It's not futuristic. You're right. No, it's it's more pastistic. Well, it was it was given an unlimited budget. So, like, given an unlimited unlimited budget, we could invent a flying broomstick. I believe. Yeah. That that sure. they could use. Yeah. yeah I, I, don't, I don't want to get. I know how to park shit. Like, yeah. Let's not get no, into no, Let's not get into that. I think the difficult thing is making a sport that is fun but would not instantly kill people. Like Rocket League, you could do it, but like no one would survive the game. Well, they wouldn't have to be in the cars, though. They're just drones. Mm-hmm. But is that interesting? No. no. As we proved with all of those robo-robots fighting each other, how many, however many TV shows there were where people build robots and make them fight each other or whatever, that's boring as heck. Why would anybody watch that? I just, yeah, I just don't think there's anything inherently interesting about a sport being futuristic. Do you I know agree. what I mean? Like, because it's always just going to be like chucking a ball about or hitting each other, right? Like, and if it's robots doing it, it doesn't make any better. Which is weird because, like, 
I guess if I was to be like, I'm going to play a baseball game in the Neo Geo, I'm going to play the futuristic one rather than the not futuristic one, but like, eh, or I'm going to play soccer brawl rather than super sidekicks or whatever like that. But I think that's just for the virtue of like, you're playing a video game as a play something unusual, right? Like, yes. I mean, and Speedball 2 is one of the greatest games ever that's not, um, the klaxon goes off because I again mentioned Sense of World of Soccer, which I have to do every episode. <laughs> But it's not the futuristicness of, of it that makes it inherently interesting. It's the fast, slidey mechanics, right? So, like, mm-hmm. and you don't need unlimited uh, budget to make a game where people throw balls and punch each other. You do need a really high budget um, to get away with mutant league football. You know, to not like go to prison and stuff like that. I think if we want to say mutant league football is a, a a futuristic sport, in so much as you make clones. Yeah. Like you're like clone you're like basically each team has like has like a Formula One uh engineers team worth of like scientists who are cloning and making like absolute Frankensteins to play football against one another. And uh they're just, you know, killing okay, right? And it's like legal and kosher and everything because they they don't give them souls or whatever during the, <laughs> the cloning process. They make sure they don't have souls. The big switch that says give them souls, no souls, and you keep it click, turn it down to no souls. I mean, I think given an unlimited budget, uh, having just like human animal hybrid uh, clone Frankenstein psychopaths killing each other whilst playing football would in a way push us a little bit closer, you know, the minutes to midnight, a couple minutes closer to midnight where midnight equals the American dream than real football does here's the thing though xfl has already failed twice so i mean well i think this real life mutant football league where you make you this old myom you know make your own mutants uh, i really think that could be something it's the ethics that'll get people tuning in too just wondering if yeah. it's right or wrong right yeah and it doesn't matter to you as the league uh president because you have the league, the league president unlimited is- money <laughs> The, the league spokesperson is Dr. Anthony Fauci, <laughs> who's like, this is ethical, actually. This is well, really a good. a cloned with a soul. This is really good. There ain't a soul in them, so it's fine. <laughs> they checked. No soul in there. <laughs> yeah, we have, we've, we've developed tests to test them for souls. It took our unlimited resources, but we can now detect souls. The, and... the, quarter, the quarterback of the Sacramento Gargoyles tested positive for soul this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, they've, so they've had to set him up with a condo uh, and uh, he's he's now and, off and the... A, and a really well-written apology. <laughs> which cost a lot of money. It was it was a really, really good apology. It cost it cost several million dollars, but it doesn't matter because our resources are infinite. And then you got people on TV doing uh, you know, the punditry about well, what about he killed people on uh before two weeks ago he killed this guy. And it's like, is it okay for a man with a well, soul? Well, it doesn't matter. To- all all TV is run by the league because we have an unlimited budget, so it's all just propaganda. But is it okay for a man with a soul to kill a man without a soul, right? It's a little weird, isn't it? But in this situation, zombie Tom Brady would be a child. He wouldn't understand what he was even doing. Zombwady? <laughs> and time. Uh, okay, question seven. Has any game captured the elegant action of Yuan Woping's fight choreography? No. Uh, shooting Eagle Heroes, Shacho uh, A.U. Dan for PSX is what you call it if you don't want to call it PlayStation 1 or the original PlayStation is a is a, is a Japanese role playing game developed by 
uh, Shuhei Yoshida and the boys at uh, uh, Sony Computer Entertainment Japan in the late 1990s, came out in the year 2000. And it is a all Chinese language RPG that has really cool camera movements in the battle scenes when you fight people. You do punches and everybody's dodging and uh, it looks really cool. Um, but that's the closest I believe any game has ever really gotten. I've played that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon game. I've played that Jet Li game. They don't they don't come as close to just a basic turn based RPG that has nice animations in it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean the problem is in the word choreography, right? Like, yeah, if you're playing a game, there's no choreography in it, right? So like, it would there's no example I can think of where it's like you just do things as you would do them, and they come out looking really beautiful and cool, right? There's always, mm -hmm. even in the most like fun like fighting games or you know your Yakuza's or whatever, there's a button mashiness to to it that makes them always look sort of like silly and ridiculous. Oh yeah, especially for anybody else walking into the room watching you play. You might be too invested to notice how stupid it looks, but if you're watching somebody else play or you're watching back footage of yourself playing, like Yakuza games look like nonsense. Like, no offense to them. Yeah, I just, I don't think it's like uh, something that you can really expect from a game. Like, I know that people have tried to, tried to do it, um, but like, it's that old thing of like interactivity versus like empathy, right? Like, so it's like when you're watching one of these movies, like it's, it's the choreography and the camera work and the bone crunching that helps you feel part of it whereas like anything you do like that in a game which takes away your agency actually pulls you away from it right like so like yeah. the best you could hope is like to create like you know as you're saying like a turn-based fighting game where like you know certain things cause certain things to happen and it's portrayed to you in a beautiful way but you're not going to feel as close to it as you are conversely as you are chucking a bicycle at a guy in yakuza right so it's yeah. like different tools for different you know aims so when when we talk about Yuan Wu Ping's uh, choreography in martial arts movies, it's it's not just the choreography of the fighting, and uh, it's it's not just like the staging or the composition of the shots. Like 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 he'll do a thing where he'll he'll keep both fighters' bodies fully in frame, shot from profile. But it's also multiple types of camera movements. He'll do big camera movements and he'll do subtle camera movements like tilt down just to show a guy's foot just as he like moves the foot then tilt back up to show the foot collide with the guy. And the fact that uh, often he was operating the camera himself, especially in a lot of those earlier movies uh, and is himself a skilled martial artist and the cameraman is like part of the choreography. Whereas in video games, we have been for coming up on 30 years now asking the player to also be the cameraman of their own uh, cinematic experience while also be the cameraman and the actor at the same time. There's other things in the Yonu Ping. It's like editing as well, right? Like um, the, the famous technique of having a punch about to connect, right? And then cutting to a part where the fist is, is further back and, is, and you get to see the, the punch go through almost its full motion again, right? Like you'll see the punch just about to connect and then you see it from a different angle following through and connecting. Like, I don't know. There's just all sorts of little techniques that I feel like asking game designers to design them and asking players to keep up uh, is just kind of a fool's errand. And I feel like I've got to go ahead and give a point to a... Got to give it to the movies on this one, Carl. Matthew's idea is interesting, though, of kind of replaying at the end so it's like it's herky-jerky it's stilted when you're doing it because you're operating it but then mm -hmm. it kind of replays the fight in a way that is more cinematic so you can enjoy 
yeah. doing sort of what you just did. That's interesting. I think Shacho Ayuden does a neat thing where um, you'll like choose to use a particular technique against a guy, and then your guy goes forward and will he'll just launch into like each each selection of the fight command, and it's a turn based, pure turn based RPG, no real time elements. Each selection of the fight command causes your guy to jump forward and just start punching, right? Like multiple times. And the other guy might block, right? So you're sitting there after you choose fight and you're watching these really cool choreographed Yuan Wu Ping-esque camera movements and these quick edits and cuts while your guy is punching and kicking at the enemy. And it might go on for five seconds. It might go on for 10 seconds. You might score three hits. You might score two hits. You might score eight hits. You might be... uh uh, clapping your hands and pumping your fists as you score all 12 hits on the guy or whatever. But usually there's a bunch of randomized blockages happening. And I guess that's one way to take a turn-based uh, game and spice it up. And it's also one way to take actual attentive attention to detail for as regards uh, kung fu movie action choreography and, and pump that into a video game as well. Because uh, a lot of blocking and uh, dodging and getting hit and falling down in those movies. Okay, question eight. What game is most improved by promoting and powering up the lowliest enemy and their mechanics to be the final boss? The lowliest enemy. Why is this question? <laughs> yeah, this is a weird question. Like, wh wh do you have any idea where this question has come from? Like, what's, what's a specific example of this you could even give? I don't know if there is one. I mean, part of it could be there are several games where a lowly enemy becomes, like, Kefka in Final Fantasy VI. That's true. Goes from being a lowly enemy into more of a final boss. That is true, yes. Oh, yeah, there's a few other games where there's, like, a joke character, right, that eventually becomes, like, really hard to beat or something. My, I think the funniest example of that is uh, Don Flamenco. Um, oh, yeah. In Punch-Out, like, the first time you, you encounter Don Flamenco, he's, like, taunting you and he's ready to go, and, and you can just immediately stunlock him forever, and he's down. You know, he's just the easiest thing in the game. And he's a joke enemy. Well, he's and the he, second easiest because Glass Joe's your first guy. But yeah. Glass Joe is, hard, I'd say, harder than Don Flamenco. You think? Well, yeah, because Don Flamenco, you just stun lock forever. Like Glass Joe, you have to like stop punching sometimes. I guess so. But then Don Flamenco comes back and he's like somehow made it into like the next league up. You know, like he's had this whole career without you where he's like actually become a pretty decent boxer. I don't know. I think that's really funny. Yeah, he's beautiful when he comes back. But that doesn't really answer the question, but it kind of does. I think it's right? good, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a weird concept, really. Like, I know we've been talking kind of sort of cinematically a lot of the questions, but like, you know, like in like a traditional sort of story, right? Like the character who's like weak and then gets beaten up and then comes back stronger is normally like the hero, right? <laughs> like, right. like mm -hmm. you'd expect that to be the character that you're on side with. So the idea of being that there's a character that you as the protagonist beat the fuck out of at one point and then they come back at the much harder and you beat the fuck out of them again is actually just sort of like, just mean. Why am I doing this to this person? <laughs> I believe there are multiple Batman games where the first and last boss is the Joker. Um, that happens in Dark Souls 3, too. In Dark Souls 3, the first boss that you fight is like hard. Is, but is the Joker? Yeah, oh, it's the God. Joker. Um, yeah. The Junker. Yeah, you fight that first boss again later, uh, and he's much harder. And so you, you feel like you're going to be like, okay, I got this guy's number, and it's like even harder. Uh, what a taunt. That rules. I don't know what else to say about this. Like, I'm like theoretically, if you were to power something up as the final boss, maybe like I'd, I'm thinking about stuff like Super Mario Brothers, where the boss doesn't actually feel like the rest of the game to me. 
Um, I feel like we you know, fought a giant like Goomba. And, yeah, exactly. Point. Like, what if you had to multiple jump on something? I mean, they've explored this many times since then, but that to me feels like a more logical boss is is is, is like a an enhanced Goomba that you have to figure out how to jump on multiple times, and it's sort of a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Be difficult to do in, in that very very limited game. But I don't know, man. Yep. I don't know, man. Let's go to our lightning round. Why not? For today's lightning round, we've got a Scottish Games shootout. Oh, dear. Every game on this list was created or developed in Scotland, except you will have to choose which one is the real one and which one is one that is made up. Okay. Okay. Let's begin. A Bonnie Odyssey versus Sword of the Mountains. A Bonnie Odyssey says we have to made figure up. figure out which of these two is fake. Yeah, I'd say Bonnie Odyssey. Uh, let's go with Bonnie Odyssey, yeah. Bonnie Odyssey is real. No, well. No. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting, uh, an interesting topic for a lightning round because uh, I feel like almost every one of these is going to be answerable. But I don't care. But let's keep going. <laughs> uh. Very well. This this is good. This is good. Con- pure podcast content. Let's go. Fort William versus Big Crown Showdown. What was the first one? Fort William. Fort yeah, William. William. I'm going to go for Big Crown Showdown. Fort William is a place, like, but you could have called named a game after that. Oh, this is good. I don't care, but also, uh, <laughs> who, where are you throwing your hat, uh, uh, Frank? I'm still, I'm still juggling them. So Fort William, and what's the other one? Big Crown Showdown. I'm going to say Big Crown Showdown sounds real. Yeah, I am too. It sounds like a DS game or something. Yeah, kill me, bro. That's correct. Big Crown Showdown is real. Okay. I fail again. Daddy didn't care, and I won because I didn't care. That's how. That's the secret. Next is Isle of Jura versus Baron Blaster 3000. Baron Blaster. I don't know about that. Did you say Baron Blaster? Yeah. yeah. That has to be like fake. I'm really bad at this if this is not fake. I hope that's fake. It, if you'd said Imagine Party Barons, I would have but believed. Then I don't know why you would call a game Isle of Judah necessarily, but sure, fine. I think I'm, we're, I'm going with Baron Blaster being fake. I'm team yeah, Baron same. Blaster's fake. Same, Baron Blaster's fake. But also if it's like a Wii shovelware game or a mobile game. It's that's probably, like, it could be like a Flash game thing, you know, like, in which case that feels like a cheat I, to me. I mean, but, it okay. sounds like the kind of Scottish video game name that like uh, the writers of Shrek would come up with, you know? Um, but you know, whatever's whatever. Sadly, everyone is correct. Baron Blaster 3000 is not real. Yeah, not real. Okay. Phew. I like calling my dog a wee Baron every once in a while. Okay, number four Clan Folk versus Bell and Sebastian's Tiger Milk, the VR experience. <laughs> There's no way Bell and Sebastian's Tiger Milk has a VR experience. Surely not. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of a lot of stuff has VR experiences now, though, bro. But Tiger Milk, what would be the what would be a Bell and Sebastian VR experience like? Wearing a jumper and going to church? I don't even really know who Bell and Sebastian yeah, are. Yeah, being sad, band, hating right? your parents. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I take that. Wearing yeah. corduroys and walking along. I'm gonna say the VR experience is Great real. Western Roads. I'm gonna say that one's fake. I just kind of believe. Fake. Um, I believe in VR experiences that I've never heard of. Uh, I think that's Frank's reason for saying that he thinks it's real. Yeah, exactly. Is whenever somebody mentions there, you know, there's you can do this in VR. It's always like the worst possible selling point for VR as a concept, right? It's always like, why would I want that? So that's why I just believe the VR experience is real, even though it's probably not. So that's my answer. Let's go. Indeed, clan folk is real. Unfortunately, there is no Bell and Sebastian VR experience. Oh. Okay. I, next you know. up. All right. Drum to Drocket Murder Mystery versus Flea, F-L-E-A, exclamation point. 
F L E L. Well, there's Bog exclamation point, and that's not that's what Saturn game. That's not Scottish. Drum the Drucht. I think that's probably real. I think Flea's real. I'm gonna go with the with whatever Matthew Kumar is saying this this time. Frank is correct. Flea is real. Flea's real. I'm gonna continue not agreeing with Matthew. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna get this for these. Uh, sorry right. if anyone was excited to play Drum the Drock at Murder Mystery. Okay, St. Andrew's Links 2014 versus the Procession to Calvary. Well, what was the name of the first one? St. Andrew's Links 2014. Interesting. So Links is uh, golf. Yeah, that would be golf. Golf being a, a famous Saint Dragons. St. Andrew's most famous golf course in the world. Uh, St. Andrew's. Yeah. A lot of golf fans in the chat. St. Andrews. That's more. That, that's bigger. That's more important golf course than Augusta. Come on. Yeah. It's PGA. It's the National. original. It's the original golf course, basically. Yeah. They it's invented uh, golf there. It's where golf was was born. It's windy and shit. Like, but it's golf, uh, which okay, is okay. Well, shit. then that one's real. Clearly. My dad, who's a big golf fan would always if you ever would always be like you see that that's what golf is supposed to look like and i'd be like okay it's not supposed to be all green and i'm like okay so i yeah, know so well a miserable tundra or basically a cliff face i know i know well of the uh, the terrifying hexcape of a uh, of, of scotland golf uh, yeah, I mean, I would say St. Andrew's links, but it's probably uh, not real. That's fine. Though. It's not real. It's the profe- yeah. procession to Calvary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, Angus 2050 versus Farewell North. Mm. Angus 2050. I mean, those both sound like they could be fake, which I guess is the point of all this. Yeah. Sure, Farewell North. I d- I'm just going to go with my gut. It's been it's served me badly this entire time, so. I think I think uh, Kumar's gut is due. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with whatever he just said because I kind of stopped caring. I don't remember the name. Yeah, I'm too high over here, and I I'm, I'm, I'm checked out. I got the Sony PlayStation State of Play on on my TV. <laughs> the team is correct. It's farewell. So far, they haven't announced a new Jack and Daxter yet, but I'm paying attention until they do. Here's hoping. Let us know if they do. We'll go live. Well, I'll I'll update the podcast listeners if they announce a new Jack and Daxter. Next up is Cairn Mather's Curse versus the Nine Maidens of Dundee. Nine Maidens of Dundee, huh? That's... Okay, but again, my gut says Nine Maidens of Dundee is fake, so the other one. What was the other one? Cairn Mather's Curse. It's just too hard to say. No, that one's, that one's fake. Hmm, there's a person I know on the TV right now. Tim, are you going Cairn or Dundee Maidens? Cairn or Bairn? The, what is it, the Bairns of Cairn? Is that it? What? It's Cairn Mother's Curse. Is that what they call Children of the Corn in, in Scotland? <laughs> the Bairns of the Cairn? <laughs> what? Uh, what was the question? Dundee's curse? Cairn Mather's curse versus the Nine Maidens of Dundee. Nine Maidens. Um, the Nine Maidens of Dundee sounds like too many, so I'm gonna say it's Nine Maidens of Dundee. It's not real. That's correct. It's not real. Oh, I did last it. one. Fates of Ort versus Act of Disunion. Oh. Fates of what? Ort. O R T. Fates of Ort. I think that one's real because that is a terrible name that someone who makes video games thinks yep. is a good yeah, name. Yeah, I'm with Frank on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. I'm putting all that my chips. Okay. okay. Fates okay. of going, I, I was about to say I'm going all in on that. Oh, there's a Ghostbusters VR experience being announced for PlayStation VR 2. How timely. If I told you there was a Ghostbusters VR experience being announced for PlayStation 5, it would be impossible for you to choose between the two replies, okay, and I don't care, right? Yeah, it would be right? impossible. It'd be yeah. impossible to choose. It's like the the okay implying I don't disbelieve that because I don't disbelieve anything anybody tells me about VR, and then the I don't care because who cares? Usually my go-to is a beat and then just going, sure. 
Okay. <laughs> I'd like to mention that all of the games that we've mentioned today are for sale on Steam right now for a Scottish game sale 2023 that benefits charity. This charity was also retweeted by Matthew's Zine uh, Twitter account. <laughs> so technically, you could have you could have easily seen all of these but i could have but i like, just sight unseen shared it <laughs> is the name of the charity cancer bairns is that oh it? my god <laughs> you are so close so it's games for the weens the games for the weens not weens wains the weens weens yeah weens the weem ones i believe is what that's short for it, right uh, it supports glasgow children's hospital charity is it pronounced glasgow or glasgow you know how it's pronounced it's pronounced glasgow people from glasgow 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 People from Gla- is that is that a reference to Glass Joe's Glass Jaw from Punch Out? Yep, that's actually is what it is. We renamed it. He founded the city. The 80s. Is it pronounced Glasgow or is it Glasgow? It's a funny one to pick because normally people have <laughs> have more difficult with Edinburgh. I would say that was exactly what I was uh, my joke that I was making was pretending that that's that Glasgow is the hard one to pronounce. People from Glasgow are Glaswegian. Is that what they say? Yep, or just Ouija's. Ouija's, a uh, little Ouija's. Do they like Luigi over there? Is he like their uh, their uh, their mascot? That's why they're named that, right? Well, I mean, only if he's in the toilet. Man, can you imagine if there's like a Luigi? Because he's a Luigi. Luigi, oh, very good. Can you imagine if there's a Luigi's Mansion four or five or whatever godforsaken number they're up to now? That's my new character guy who pretends there's two Luigi's Mansion games. Or too many Luigi's Mansion games. They make a new Luigi's Mansion instead of Gooigi. They've got Glass Ouija. Aren't they making a new Luigi's Mansion? Didn't they just announce one today? Yeah, they announced one on the Direct today. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, a, a, re- it's a remaster of Luigi's Mansion 2 for the Nintendo 3DS. My new character, guy who pretends there's more Luigi's Mansions Mansion games than it's possible to count. But wait, there's, so, there's, so there's four Luigi's Mansions games now, but technically there's only two because it's two that have been redone twice. Sort of, yeah. Five and three? Is that it? There's five of them, but there's three of them? Or there's three of them? There's three of them, but there's four of them? Who knows? Let's go to recommendations. I'm seeing double here. Eight Luigi's there's Mansions. nine Luigi's Mansions. Frank, do you have any recommendations for the <laughs> now, week? Now, that's a guy who has a lot of video game houses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rec- recommendations. Huh? Uh, I guess I'll promote my other podcast, even though it's part of the outro, because um, I don't remember if it was on mic or not, but uh, Matthew Kumar mentioned uh, the making of Karataka, and uh, I just had Jordan Mechner uh, on the Video Game History Hour, I know uh, that along with Chris Kohler, talking about the making of Karataka, both the product and uh, the, the concept of making so Karataka. Jordan Mechner, is, is he the guy who made all the shoes, or is that Michael Jordan? Thank you. That's my joke. Thank you. Um, is he the guy who made all those shoes? Because his name is on the shoe. So uh, it's a pretty good episode, I think. Uh, maybe <laughs> listen to that. Great, great transition. Just, just ignore that joke. And just hey, you know, I wonder what it's like to have a good episode of a podcast. <laughs> What's that like, Frank? Is that? Is... <laughs> well, I guess one day I'll find out. But today's not that day. <laughs> you know, oh man, they're showing that Avatar game, dude. And the the state of play. You got any recommendations, Matthew? <sighs> Avatar, bro. Um, yeah, you should uh, definitely uh, buy some games in that Scottish game sale that I knew all about. <laughs> what about Avatar Two: The Way of Water? Would you recommend that, Matthew Kumar? Uh, I gotta tell you, I had a really fun time watching that movie. Uh, yeah, me too. I had a really. I did time. not like the first one at all, but the yeah. second one is so funny. I mean, like, yeah. There's nothing funnier than like a guy being a huge space whale and him being like, yo, bro, bro, what's wrong? And the whale being like, oh, 
It's too difficult to talk about. That's so funny. Yeah, that stuff rules, dude. That whole movie was like I was high as heck and I hadn't even taken anything. It's it's great fun. That that movie is is great fun. It's not my recommendation though. I mean, do something else other than watch an Avatar movie. Uh, like give money to Scottish games charities. But uh yeah, it's it's a fun one. This Avatar game actually looks pretty dope. Like what's going on here? Why does this look so cool? No, because you know it's Ubisoft, right? So you know exactly what's going to happen. Jake Sully's going to appear. He's going to have all these abilities. Then they're going to take Jake Sully's abilities away. And you're going to be stuck with Jake Sully with no abilities. And you're going to climb a bunch of fucking towers to make the area appear and gain your abilities back. It's not going to be good. That's probably what's going to happen, yeah. Tim, do you have any recommendations for the week? Oh, of course not. I don't do that on this show. I recommend that you watch Raining in the Mountain, uh, directed by King Hu. It's a uh, sort of heisty, philosophical kung fu film. It's great. Not enough people have watched it, and it's really philosophically deep. I would love to talk to you about it. I also recommend you rate and review this show on any site that you can. Talk about us on Nextdoor or iTunes or Farmers Only, wherever you got. Uh, This show is edited by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. I'm Mox Bagel. I'm Frank Cipaldi. I'm Tim Rogers. And I was Matthew Kumar. And please attend to your unblasted bairns. Was such a cruel trick to play by the way the the fucking charity thing because i just honestly just was like it's like there's an artist neil slorens did the art for the thing i was like oh yeah i'll just i'll just retweet that i'm not even gonna bother looking at it huh? actually i had a moment earlier today where i was like wait does he know about this it's gonna completely ruin my game and i looked on your twitter it's like he doesn't wait he has a zine twitter and then yeah it was on there so i was like let's see how this goes yeah very badly for me oh, what?